Hello, and welcome to Prescription for Biotech, the podcast that explores the changing healthcare delivery landscape with a focus on how biotechnology companies should be evolving their launch capabilities to ensure patient access to innovative new therapies. I'm your host and producer, Chris Lidley. In this episode, we are going to talk about the FDA review process and share best practices around what biotechnology companies should be doing to prepare for their product launches. A recent pre-launch survey we conducted here at Boulder Biotech Launch Specialists showed that many biotech companies often wait too long to build out their commercial capabilities and have been slow to respond to the new sort of fast-changing FDA regulatory environment. I thought it'd be educational to invite an expert in regulatory affairs to help provide our listeners with advice to help accelerate their organization's launch readiness. So our guest today is Dr. Katie Graham, President and Managing Director of Treje Consulting. Katie has over 20 years of academic and pharmaceutical industry experience. She has deep regulatory expertise in promotional regulatory affairs and has extensive experience working with FDA reviewers and both small and large biopharmaceutical clients. In her spare time, Katie's also an adjunct lecturer at several universities, including UCSD Skagg School of Pharmacy and the University of Southern California School of Pharmacy. So Katie, let's start with a, with a brief overview of exactly how many drugs does the FDA typically approve each year? Well, the FDA typically is approving, as far as new products, is typically approving about 48 drugs a year. At least that's what the 2019 numbers were for new drug entities. But you have to consider as well when you're looking at not just approval, but the entire spectrum of what FDA is looking at, that there's currently over 20,000 drugs and over 6,500 medical devices that have been approved for marketing. Well, can you tell us more about the speed of regulatory reviews and drug approvals? It, it seems like in the in the newspaper, we're hearing a lot more about the FDA really approving novel therapeutics well ahead of their PDUFA dates. Well, and that is something that you're hearing a lot of. You're correct. I mean, in December, um, Bloomberg actually published an article and they had some analysts talking about it really in those areas, like you mentioned about the unmet medical need that FDA does appear to be moving faster. But really what this is all basing out of is the FDA put a lot of these processes in place back in the early 90s when we saw the outbreaks of AIDS and HIV. And when you have a combination of that and the information that came out kind of in the early 2010s where Wharton's white paper very keenly pointed out that the pharmaceutical industry is facing that end of that blockbuster era, the pharmaceutical companies and biotech companies really started focusing more on the science. And when you're focusing more on the science to bring those kind of innovative and, and unique products to the market, then you're able to use all of those uh, accelerated kind of, or expedited, I should say, approval processes that the FDA has had set in place since the early 90s. And so what I mean by that is when you're looking at some sort of expedited review process from the FDA, that can be a fast track review or breakthrough review or priority review or an accelerated review, 
60% of the drugs that were new novel kind of drug entities in 2019 that were approved went through one of those um, processes. Great. Uh, you mentioned a number of different categories of designations that FDA um, uses to determine um, approval timelines or review timelines. Can you just briefly review those designations that could impact the speed of those reviews and approvals? Of course. You know, the first one you have is that priority review. And in essence, what that means is they've taken the standard kind of review process, which is going to be that 10-month um, kind of review process. And then priority review is going to make that designation more down to like a six-month time frame. And what we're really going to be looking at, or FDA is really going to be looking at in order to achieve a priority review designation is if there's some sort of significant improvement on the safety or efficacy of this new potential treatment compared to what's currently available. Then the next one that I mentioned was kind of like the accelerated approval. And, and this is what a lot of people hear as that subpart age uh, approval or the subparty, depending on if you're a drug or a biologic. And what that is doing is really kind of helping, the best kind of example for that is um, oncology, where you're going to be approved based on your progression-free survival versus your overall survival. Now, in order to have a full product approval, you're going to need that overall survival data. But because the progression-free survival is such a good marker, surrogate marker for that, then the FDA has allowed an approval of drugs based on that surrogate, but then there's extra kind of, um, you have to send in your marketing materials uh, beforehand as opposed to just sending down on 2253 at time of first use. So there's some additional kind of rules around that. The other two kind of aspects that people hear a lot about are the fast track designation and the breakthrough designation. And those both are important because those allow for rolling reviews. And so those are going to be the types of products that had like last fall in, in uh, 2019 and November, November-ish, October, November timeframe where you saw, okay, there was that eight week approval. Well, those were products that were on this kind of rolling uh, approval timeframe. So the fast track, that's a type of expedited review that can be requested any time during your drug's development. And you have to meet an unmet medical need for a disease or condition. So in other words, you have to show in non-clinical trials or in clinical trials that you can meet an unmet need and it's for a serious condition. So let's say it's affecting the patient's survival or day-to-day -day functioning or likelihood that a condition um, was going to advance if there's no treatment for it. So something like that, AIDS, um, Alzheimer's, those are the types of uh, trying to treatment categories that might fall into that designation. Where breakthrough status is really looking at a serious medical condition, and this is an indicator that there's going to be a significant improvement in the therapeutic area. You're seeing this a lot with uh, oncology kind of drugs and, and treatments right now. And so this is looking at more clinically significant endpoints. And so this is done after you already have clinical data. Now, both of these need to be the fast track and the breakthrough need to be requested by the drug company. 
uh, to the FDA, but what they allow for is an ongoing increased dialogue with the FDA and a rolling submission. So you don't have to wait until everything in that NDA packet is together before you can begin to uh, start having those approval kind of discussions. Yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's drill in there for just a moment, Katie, because I think that can be one of the more challenging scenarios for an emerging biotech company, for example, that uncertainty over exactly when you may receive an approval. We know new modalities like cell and gene therapies are expected to drive a significant number of new launches over the next decade. And we've read recently that FDA has shown a willingness to work with industry to shorten those development times. So I think what I think it speaks to what you're saying. So what has changed at FDA and just how fast has the regulatory process become? I mean, we're hearing more about the prevalence of these rolling or real-time reviews. You mentioned um, the one in oncology called RTOR. I mean, so how does that impact uh, how a company needs to prepare? Well, really, uh, you know, on the traditional mindset, you would think, okay, I'm going to submit my NDA and I'm going to wait six or 10 months uh, in order to kind of get that data back. And that's the time period that I have in order to prepare my launch. Where now, when we're looking at so let's say last year, 35% of the drugs that were approved last year had a fast track designation and 27% had a breakthrough designation. And so a vast majority, we have, you know, over half of the drugs that were being re approved last year are going on this ongoing kind of uh, approval process. And so what that is doing is when you have each component of your label is ready or your NDA is ready, you're submitting that type of information in and having those discussions on an ongoing basis. And so that really reduces the time of your full uh, review and approval. The best thing that, in my opinion, that there, therefore can be done is making sure that you have your review process set up, the right people in strategically evaluating things early enough on that um, you have to, you can be set and, and set that time frame uh, of when you expect to launch. And depending on what you have to, how, what the time frame is, is very much dependent on like if last year, if this becomes the pattern of eight to 12 weeks after that final section of the NDA is submitted for breakthrough designation drugs, then that's going to really help other companies determine how to plan for their future launches. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. We, we also conducted an analysis recently, a survey um, at, that showed that nearly half of novel drugs are have been approved by phase two, uh, especially those with breakthrough designation. I mean, we've been seeing those, especially in oncology with the new immunotherapies and checkpoint inhibitors with very small patient populations even. So indeed, this is part of the reason many organizations are not fully prepared when their approvals come. So let's maybe focus now and shift on to building organizational readiness. You've hinted already at a couple of things you might consider, but for an early stage biotechnology company, Katie, what types of capabilities and organizational processes need to be developed long before approval? Well, I think that there's multiple kind of aspects when you uh, are getting ready for approval. 
I think that when you're looking at that pre-approval space, it's very important, first of all, to get the strategic people that you need in, in and having those conversations. And you're needing to get that and develop based on uh, that end in mind. And when we know that a lot of this data now is going to be reviewing based on phase two data, then you're really needing to pull in those strategic elements earlier on in phase two. Or if not, at the end of phase one. I have some clients that I work with now um, that I'm there kind of looking at uh, analysis-wise kind of of what's going on that early on. But when we're looking at that, um, and in that early kind of environment, you need to make sure, I think, that you're having uh, processes in place for a review of materials. And it's not just those, your classical promotional materials because information for medical affairs needs to be reviewed as well. Um, there's going to be materials that are going to be going out in press releases that are going to need some sort of lens and, and looking at them. Some sort of the some of the information that's going to be going out with uh, clinical operations will need that as well. There's going to need to be strategic decisions early on, you know, at the beginning of earlier in phase two, um, looking at you know, what are the strategic decisions of how you're going to prepare the marketplace? Um, what's that standard language early on going to be? You know, are you going to call it an investigational drug, an investigational agent, investigational medication, therapy, molecule, product? There's all these sorts of kind of uh, decisions that need to be kind of considered. It's also very important to make sure that you're getting all of your market research done early enough and bringing in a regulatory and a, and a legal kind of lens to make sure that the right questions are being asked so that you're getting the best material at the end of the day and in the most cost-effective way. Um, it's also very good to help uh, with legal and regulatory early on to help kind of provide some of those boundaries and contextual considerations. Setting up the review process, the review system. I have a lot of clients who start out doing some sort of like SharePoint or a smart sheet type of system before they later roll over into like a Viva Vault type of process. There needs to be, the company needs to decide early on what their goals are. Um, are they planning on trying to launch their product by themselves? Are they trying to get purchased? All of these things weigh into what the company's risk tolerance is going to be and how you're going to lay out your promotional um, products and messaging to move forward. Then you also have to consider, you know, what is the company going to do for uh, label-ready materials, kind of uh, prepping things in place to figure out best case scenarios, um, planning for speaker bureaus and launching alignments. And, and there's, there's a lot that goes into uh, the different advertisings and how you're going to address payers, et cetera. So that's great, Katie. I, I think now maybe let's take that information and try to apply it. Um, can you share some maybe a best practice or best practices that you've seen from companies you've worked with um, in preparing for a launch, say, let's, let's use for now um, a standard approval timeline. In other words, not a subpart H or accelerated review, but just a standard approval timeline. What are some of the best practices you've seen in terms of doing those things you just outlined? When do they start and what types of activities are they doing? 
Well, the activities you're going to have, the FDA considers kind of launch materials as your initial promotional materials that the company is going to use to speak about their product. Right? And so, and then they also believe that those core ones are going to be those materials that contain your primary messaging. And if the FDA is going to, if you're going to submit to have the FDA provide comment on those, they will typically have about a 45-day voluntary turnaround, assuming that you uh, are not in um, a subpart H kind of situation where you would that falls into a different category. Um, and you have to consider with all of this that, you know, the FDA's mission is around public safety. And the goal is trying to get the information out about your product that's accurate and balanced from your first in interpretation onwards. So it's going to be very important that there is open communication between uh, the, the kind of gatekeepers of regulatory and legal and that commercial uh, and marketing team. And there's, it's very important to have a standard review process, um, a standard risk that you're looking at, and kind of uh, an overall strategic approach of what you want to do for that launch risk. Because that's going to help figure out uh, the timing. Um, and you also need to figure out what kind of pre-launch communications that the company wants to have. How early does... Do you want sales reps in there or is everything that the marketing is going to be doing based on like disease state advertising or institutional advertising or coming soon? And what are those kind of communications going to be? And those can also be whether they're now approved awareness or the websites or online or social media, scientific meeting communications. Um, you can also have like, what was your booth going to be looking like? Your traditional sales materials, your payer and pricing and copay cards, your print advertisements, any call center scripts, any um, patient starter kits, all of those aspects need to be taken into account. I mean, typically in the pre-approval space, I'm, I'm used to seeing kind of the payer, the disease state coming soon, institutional types of activities where once we're getting into that first 90 days, of launch, it's more like the PR campaigns, um, your reprint carriers are now approved materials, copay cards, your basic websites, scientific congresses, and uh, those types of materials. But in order for any of that to work effectively, you really have to have your processes in place uh, early on and all those kinks worked out. You have to have done your test submissions to the FDA to make sure that those electronic submissions work well and, and FDA is is very open to to working with companies because at the end of the day they want the best for the, the, the population um, as far as the best medicines out there yeah there's I've often seen confusion too around the guidelines uh, and I mean, I know FDA's drafted and updated guidelines not too long ago for pre-approval communications to manage care and formulary decision makers. What have you seen as best practice in communicating product information to these important stakeholders prior to launch? Um, the wonderful thing about that uh, June 2018 guidance that, that you're referring to, the FDA does a, a wonderful job of communicating clearly what can be communicated. And the purpose of that is 
FDA agrees with the pharmaceutical industry and with the payers that it's important that the information about the product, appropriate information about the product is out there to, to let those insurance coverage and payer entities figure out how to plan and to budget considering these new aspects coming into marketing or the products that might be coming to market. When we're looking at all of that, it's very important that obviously, and you can go in proactively and talk about this as a company and very important to say that, you know, this product is under investigation giving the product information is very appropriate, giving the drug class, the features of the product, where you are in development, um, information about the study protocols, what the endpoints might've been, what your patient population might've been, anticipated time of approval, what your planned pricing information is, your, you know, there's lots of other information that can be included in those discussions as well. As far as, you know, if there's going to be any patient support programs, what some patient utilization projections might be, and that's going to be, you know, obviously done by marketing, looking at epidemiologic data. Um, But we need to make sure that any of these information to the payer in that pre-approval space or, you know, factual presentations about those clinical trials. It's very, very important not to make conclusions about the investigational product safety or efficacy in that pre-approval space. And that's the hardest thing, both on the commercial side, when they're looking at at marketing materials that are going out in that pre-approval space, in addition to that medical side and medical communications under scientific exchange of really making sure that those claims of safety and efficacy are are not um, within the piece. Great. for this this last section, I'd like to try to um, summarize our discussion a little bit and and get your recommendations for how you think biopharmaceutical companies should be preparing for approval and product launch within this evolving regulatory environment. Given how quickly FDA is moving these days, what are your recommendations for what companies should be doing to prepare for approval and and when? Well. A couple things. I want to also talk about uh, what you had mentioned about this evolving uh, space that we're in. First of all, you know, technically the boundaries of drug promotion have not changed since the FDA's authority around advertising and promotion came out after the 1962 Kiefer-Harris Amendment. And the Code of Federal Regulations was written. Now, what we're seeing with the various guidance documents that come out or the insights that we get from different enforcement actions is really kind of interpretations and helping provide current thinking of how to interpret those regulations. So I think it's very important to, first of all, classify and to realize that you know the, the, the rules haven't changed. Um, right now, you're seeing under the current situation, uh, maybe less enforcement of that, but that will wax and wane. And it's also very important to keep in mind that it takes time to get through the process at FDA uh, for an enforcement action. And so behaviors that happen now might not receive that enforcement action for, for a couple years maybe afterwards, but it doesn't mean that because you haven't seen anything 
in a year, hey, I got away with it, and so it's okay, I can continue to move forward. The other thing to keep in mind about this, on what you're saying on the other side, is that FDA is moving quickly, and innovation is reason that is allowing them to move quickly. So I think it's very important to, early on in phase one and phase two, start designing those trials with that commercial, strategic commercial targets in mind. And I think it's very important in my opinion, and, and if you talk to a lot of other promotional regulatory people that I've worked with, that the company needs to be bringing in at that point, at least on a contract basis, those promotionally minded legal and regulatory representatives pretty much at the same time that you're hiring the marketing staff for those strategic kind of collaborations because you need to be able to be having that that forward-looking strategic conversations on how how to how to get this product out in in ways that are compliant but also evolving the way everything else is evolving i mean if you think about it the way that i look at it is if if everything else in development is now doing so much innovation why isn't our marketing materials doing that same level of innovation yeah those are good points i think that clearly you know understood that the promotional guidelines aren't what's changing, it's just the degree of innovation. The fact that R&D investment continues to focus on areas of high need and rare disease, orphan and oncology products, for example, with really more than two thirds of launches expected to be from specialty drugs, it just speaks to the speed with which through these various pathways, um, FDA can grant approval and catch companies by surprise and speaks to the need as you're outlining, Katie, to bring in your medical, legal, regulatory experts, um, your commercial team early enough, how early would you say, like end of phase one? Because I mean, again, if you were potentially, if you, if you have breakthrough designation, you, you, you could be approved at end of phase two. I have clients um, in phase one um, and uh, I'm on retainer and, and it's common to, I'm seeing that more and more and they'll come and, and ask just specific questions as we're getting ready and as we're moving. And, and their plan is that likely they will get a breakthrough designation in phase two. And how do we get at least the basics of that information out as soon as possible? But yeah, I mean, I mean, look at last year, 44% of the drugs approved last year were for rare diseases. So that says, that says a lot. Yeah. Well, Katie, um, Thank you for taking the time today to, to share your valuable insights and experiences. And for our listeners out there, please visit trajeconsulting.com to learn more about the medical affairs and regulatory consulting services provided by Katie and her team. You can also contact Katie directly at katie at trajeconsulting.com. That's T-R-A-J-E-T consulting.com. Also, you can learn more about Boulder Biotech Launch Specialist Life Science Consulting by checking out our website at www.boulderbiotechlaunchspecialist.com. Our clients include emerging biotech, pharmaceutical, and medical device companies, as well as life science, venture capital, and private equity firms. Feel free to contact me directly at chris at boulderbiotechlaunchspecialist.com as well. I'd love to get your feedback on this podcast episode and as well as to get your thoughts on other episodes you might like to hear about.